bingo. Perfect. All right. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is the third Wednesday of the month, which means it's time for Dr. Stefan Esser. And today he's going to be talking about cancer, blues and greens, nutrition and cancer risk. What a great topic. Please welcome him to the show. It's always nice to see you. I think you're my only outdoor guest. All right. Well, I'll take that. <laughs> I like to be outdoors as much as I possibly can. I'm actually underneath uh, one of our juice bungalows and facing here in the backyard with some nice uh, oak trees. I was hoping we'd be on two minutes ago because there was like a four foot great white heron walking around the backside here. And he was right here in the, uh, in the view. But uh, we missed our opportunity. Maybe he'll come back again. So wow. today we're going to talk about the topic you introduced, a, a very, very important one, uh, unfortunately, right? Because of just how frequent and common as we'll talk about cancer really is. Um, and before we actually jump into it, I just wanted to encourage everybody, if you haven't been on my Instagram or social media recently, I put up a great post that you should watch on Esser Health of this woman uh, yesterday, I put it up. Uh, it's just a fun, incredibly positive story. And I love to see her energy and positivity. This is someone who had severe chronic knee pain so badly they had to be shuttled around back and forth on a cart, literally to their work and such. And within a week of eating a whole food plant-based program, in this case, my six-week anti-inflammation program, but this is the stuff that Chef AJ and I encourage everybody to do, a bunch of fruits and veggies and simple, bright, colorful stuff. Her knee pain literally went away and has not come back. And she had seen all these other doctors telling her, yo, we've done steroid shots. There's nothing else we do. You just need to replace your knees, whatever. And the issue is what she was chronically and severely inflamed. And just by changing her food, she radically has changed her entire life, you know, not to mention all the other fun things of weight loss and bloating gone and inflammation here and there, but, but it's like her knee pain just went away and she has her function back. And that heralds back to the conversation we had a while back on the intersection of musculoskeletal medicine and inflammation. And there are so many people walking around today suffering unnecessarily. And as it turns out, inflammation is not only the heart of the matter when it comes to much of musculoskeletal medicine, but as we'll learn today, it's also the heart of the matter for cancer. When we think about healthy life, there's some basic tenets of a healthy life. These were espoused by the National Hygiene Society, which is now the National Health Association. My grandfather founded 75 years ago, a plant-based organization devoted to education. And they identify these kind of seven basic tenets of health. And what I love about each of these is it gives us wiggle room. You know, when I was in residency, my sleep was out of my control. I was on 30-hour shifts every third night. It was crazy. But I could still control my food. And I could still control my water and I could still control, right, my emotions to some extent. And so what, as you go through your life, because there are always imperfect times in our lives, right? You want to identify what you can do, not get obsessed about what you cannot do and what's out of your control and this and that. And oh my gosh, and blah, but rather on what is in your control that you can do. And we're going to talk about nutrition as it relates to cancer today. We're also going to hit some of the highlights of some of these other areas. As I put this together, I also realized, wow, we just need to do another talk in a couple of weeks, perhaps, on just straight up five, 10 major anti-cancer uh, sort of choices and the you know very tangible things. And I think we should do that in the future. But today I wanna go through some, here are my goals, definitions, statistics, see the classroom, common cancers, some models for cause, and some opportunities for prevention. So a lot to go through. I know we've only got one hour, so we're gonna crush this. So feel free to replay if I go too fast at a slower pace. So my talk to you today, however, is not the end. Hopefully it's the beginning or somewhere in between for you. It is not complete, right? You're not gonna get every little thing that you've ever wanted to know about cancer in here. No, this is going to be some good information, but hopefully we'll encourage you to continue to watch people on Chef AJ's channel who come and talk about cancer and cancer prevention and reversal and these sorts of things. And I hope it'll plant almost more questions so that you'll go and keep researching and learning every day. I know that's why you watch Chef AJ, so you can learn more. So let's do that. Miriam Webster, here we go. What is cancer? You know, we're not talking about a zodiacal constellation, right? We're talking about this malignant tumor of potentially unlimited growth that initially starts where it is, but then has the ability to invade distally, meaning throughout the body, via metastasis, 
metastasis as being tiny little particles or components that spread somewhere and then grow. Think about a little tiny cell that flicks off into the bloodstream and then disappears and goes. You started off with a cancer in your breast and now it's going to the brain or into the spine or into the, you know, the hip joint, et cetera. This is what can occur. We don't want that. At its heart, cancer is a term for diseases in which abnormal cells divide without control and then are able to invade other tissues. I bring this up because look at what we even just said there. There really are three or so different areas. There is the formation of the abnormal tissue. Then there is the uncontrolled growth of the tissue. And then there is the spreading of the tissue. This matters because at each of these different stages, there are things that you and I can do that can either turn on the cancer more or turn the cancer off. You know, it's said by researchers that every one of us watching and talking right now actually have cancer in our bodies as we speak. But what happens is that through a process of autophagy and other processes, the body identifies these unhealthy or cancerous cells before they multiply too much and kills them out, wipes them out. But that is assuming that you have an immune system that is functional and competent to be able to do its job. We humans are organized very systematically. We have an atomic level, right? Which is you know, oxygen, hydrogen, carbon, et cetera. We have the molecular level, all the DNA in our cells, the organelles, right? The nucleus of the cell, right? The different sarcoplasmic reticulum in the cell. Ooh, made you think of something from science class. Uh, the cell itself, right? As a specific almost organ in the body. And then the tissues that all those cells form together, right? The tissue structure that's all the cells strung together. And then the tissues that make up an organ, right? Like your kidneys, like your heart, whatever. And then the organ system, like the circulatory system, the heart, the arteries, the veins, all these other things. And then an organism, us at the global level. All of this is valuable to think about. Here's a cell, a little drawing of a cell, and you can see the, the purple nucleus in the middle. There's that endoplasmic reticulum, the mitochondria, the ribosome, the lysosome. All of these different little tiny organelles, these little tiny structures within the cell have different functions. Produce energy, multiply proteins, form an outer layer, multiply myself, so on and so forth. Very fascinating to think about because the food that you and I eat, the exercise you and I get, the sleep, the toxins we're exposed to, all tell the cells to do something. Do you ever think of food that way? Food's not just calories in, calories out. No, it's information at the cellular level. So when you chew up that kale and then swallow it and it's absorbed into your bloodstream, the tiny little particles go to the cells and there they bind to the exterior wall membrane, this bilipid layer of the cell, and they bind to receptors that prompt the cell to do things. Pretty cool when you think about that. And that's the aspect of almost, you know, at the global high level of epigenetics, the what you do alters cellular expression. This all matters because what do we say about cancer? Cancer is an abnormal cell doing abnormal things. And we want to normalize that cell function. We want to normalize what it's doing in particular when it comes to the cell cycle. You see, just like the seasons go through spring, summer, fall, winter, and just like you and I go through, right, our infancy, our pediatric stage, adolescence, young adulthood, and so on and so forth, the same thing occurs to every one of the cells in our body as it goes through its lifespan. It goes through this growth phase, then growth and multiplication of our DNA, our genetic material. Then it prepares for division. It goes into that what's called mitotic stage. And there it's multiplying into two cells that separate apart. And then each of those cells goes back through the phases. Now, this is valuable because there are checkpoints. You notice here and here, there are checkpoints. And these checkpoints are mo moments in time in which the cell is evaluated by an external source, cells in the immune system, or by itself, just in the aspect of evaluating, how am I doing, right? It's almost like you and I at the end of each day or every month or every year, checking on our finances, checking on our health. How am I doing? How are things going? That's the same thing that goes on at the cellular level. Now, these checkpoints are crucial both for you at the, and I at the big level, right? If you're not evaluating your finances, then you end up, you're 65 and you got no cash and you got nothing, you're in a bad place, right? Or let's say, right, you're not evaluating your health. And next thing you know, you've got type two diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, right? Your knees are shot and you're like, what happened? How did I get here? 
Well, most of the time it wasn't just random chance, right? It was moment after moment of choices you made. And that's the same in the cell. It has these checkpoints, these moments in which it evaluates how it's doing. If the cell identifies that there is normal cell division, that everything looks good, it just continues to multiply in a normal fashion. If, however, one of these cells, some component in the cell, becomes abnormal due to an abnormal replication or some exposure to radiation or a toxin, and now the cell is damaged, well, that damaged cell can either be killed off or start its own apoptosis with his cell suicide, right? The cell enters into that phase of evaluation. How am I doing? Oh, I'm sick. I'm not well. It actually can hit the button like in the Star Trek films. Burp, turn on cell suicide or apoptosis. Countdown begins now. And literally the cell actually releases, in many cases, it's like hydrogen peroxide, a digestive enzyme. It just breaks itself up and off it goes. And then the little natural killer cells and other immune cells clean it up and off we're done. That cell is gone. It's out of the lineage. It's out of the replication phase. It's not going to hand on the inheritance of the cancer, of the abnormal mutation, the abnormal damage. But let's say the amount of damage or mutation is so significant, or let's say that your immune system is so compromised, it's not picking up on this abnormal mutation. Well, what happens? Well, now these cells multiply again and again and again, and they just get uglier and uglier and worse and worse. And now the cancer is a very dangerous, uncontrolled level of growth, high level of mutation, and now you're in a bad place. This is not what we want, but this is what occurs all too often. There has been a dysfunction at the checkpoint level, which has allowed the cell to continue with multiplication, and now it's in passing on its sick inheritance. And this is how cancer occurs. So we get initiation. This is the turning on of cancer and the failure to slow abnormal growth. And then we get the proliferation, which is the acceleration of this growth to an abnormal level. Right? Normally, it's kind of like stamp one, stamp two, stamp three, next cell produced, you know, just like that. But if we get into this state of acceleration where the cells just go rapid, more, 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 and that's where the cancer is building up in size. An imperfect example of this, but it's a good visual, is like a wart. What is a wart? A wart is where a virus gets into the surface of your skin and it hijacks the multiplication of the cell. And it prompts that cell to multiply rapidly. Bah, 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 bah. And it produces all this excess epidermis, which then builds up like a little volcano. And there's your wart. That's what's going on. So you've got a sick cell in which there is abnormal accelerated growth. Very similar. And this is the same kind of thing that occurs in a cancerous cell. It abnormally grows. The reality is, of course, that the cell cycle is far more complex than that little circle. It's more like this. All of these different things intersecting, interlocking, uh, affecting each other. And that's why it's so crucial that you and I don't become monopic and go, well, if I just eat enough sulforaphane and I eat two pounds of broccoli, I'm good to go. I'll never get cancer. Like, no, no, that's actually just one component that is of great value, but not the one and only thing. Now, cancer comes in different forms. I, I put this up here because all of us know people who have had cancer, and it's worthwhile to know a little bit of the lingo. You can read through these later. But essentially, in medicine, we've come up with different names that mean different things. But all of them are very similar. It's cancer in a different lineage, a different cell type, whether it be blood-forming tissue and it's leukemia, whether it be uh, you know, sarcomas and the bone cartilage or fat. But in all of these cases, it's the same thing. Cancer is the same in all these areas. It is an abnormal growth of a cell and then an unregulated multiplication of that cell that then leads to dysfunction at the cellular level initially, then at the organism or organ level, and then at the organism level finally, which then can result in death. Valuable terminology for you to know would be stuff like staging and grading. Yeah. So let's say a woman goes in, Brenda goes in to her doctor because she found a mass in her left breast. She now goes to the oncologist and they say, all right, well, we need to stage this, right? This may involve different ultrasounds, x-rays, uh, CT scans, PET scans all over the body, blood testing, et cetera, to determine is the cancer just in the breast tissue or is cancer spread throughout the body at this point already? So that's staging. Then grading 
is where they take a sample of the cancer and look at it. They may do that during surgery. Let's say they did a lumpectomy to remove a small amount of breast tissue uh, for that. Or if they took all the breasts, what's called a mastectomy, right? They took the, all the entire breast tissue. They then take that tissue to a lab. They dye it with different dyes, make thin little slices, put, look at it underneath a microscope. And this is what's called histological grading. And here they say, is it nice, happy looking cancer? I mean, it's just like a little cell that got confused. Or does it look like horrific, dangerous, you know, monster cancer? And this tells them something too about just how dangerous appearing this cancer is, right? So certainly the worst thing can happen, right, is that we've got this stage four of meaning metastatic cancer all through the body. And that it is a very dangerous grade of cancer as well. That's a very poor outcomes as far as survival is concerned. So here's what we know. Cancer is an abnormal state of the cell often caused by dysfunction in the cell cycle. And this can lead to overgrowth and inappropriate growth at the cellular level, dysfunction at the tissue organ level, and eventually dysfunction at the organism level, right? Where now we end up with, you know, severe morbidity or mortality. I pulled these off of the American Cancer Society's website actually just uh, last night for all of you. And uh, this is the estimated new cancer cases in the US in 2023. It's worth looking at. Uh, because you want to, during my conversation today with you, identify what are your risks? And that's what we're talking about, right? Do you have a strong family history? So let's say, for example, you're a man and every man in your family is, has prostate cancer. Well, you need to take prostate cancer really serious, really, really seriously, right? Or let's say you're a woman and uterine cancer has been a major issue. Oh, my slide is not showing all the numbers for the ladies. I apologize. It somehow shifted to the right. Um, I'll correct that later. But uh, nevertheless, you can kind of see here numerically uh, at least a, a, a scale uh, of that. Now, cancer matters, of course, because malignant neoplasms or cancer is the second leading cause of mortality uh, in America today, right after heart disease. And so we saw these are the new cases that are likely to be found. Ready? I keep that in mind. So prostate cancer being the leading new cancer to be found in men in America today and breast cancer, the leading for women. Now, I bring this up because just like with heart disease, whenever you think about your health, you want to say, what's the leading thing most likely to kill me, right? Because all your decisions should be based initially on that. What's the thing most likely to kill me? Heart disease for all of us is number one. So the all your health choices should revolve around heart disease. Then you should say, well, what's my second most likely thing to kill me, third, fourth, fifth, et cetera, and make additional modifications if they're not in line. Now, the good news is the same stuff that's good for your heart turns out is really good for your prostate cancer risk. And we're gonna talk about that shortly um, and breast cancer risk. Now here are the cancer deaths estimated in the US in 2023. So we looked at the new cases, most likely and that was prostate and breast cancer were at the top and the estimated cancer deaths, these seem to be right lung cancer across the board. Well, why is that? Well, clearly it's because in the 1960s, 70s, right? Smoking was sexy. And so lots of people were exposed to smoking uh, and now the fruit is ripe on the tree, right? And lung cancer is, you know, happening all too frequently for folks who previously smoked. You'll also notice though, then prostate and breast and then colon for both men and women, then pancreatic for both men and women. And then we break, we diverge a little there. We get liver for men, ovarian and uterine for women and so on and so forth. Uh, but you see kind of the different, uh, you know, risks for, you know, this year and moving forward forward and likely for yourself and your family members. Ah, I did it to this slide too. Sorry, team, but I don't want to jump out and jump in for fear something else will happen. So uh, what this is a slide of, this is a worthwhile slide to look at. It's 20, it's cancer death rates among females from 1930 all the way to 2020. And so we get all the way to 2010 there. You can see that, but uh, the, the curve doesn't change much from 2010 to 2020, except for the lung cancer rates uh, or death rates coming down a little bit because many people have died off already and smoking is becoming less popular. But I put this up here because I want to point out to you that since 1970, there's been minimal change in cancer death rates from things like uterine cancer, right? You look all also, some of the others, pancreatic cancer, stomach cancers, liver cancer, right? Very little decline. They're very similar across, right? So we got some decline from the 1930s till the 1970s with uterine cancer because a better technology identified early, et cetera. But 
otherwise, look at that. It's still very much similar to kind of where it was since the 1970s and 80s, despite trillions of dollars being spent to try to prevent or reverse or stop these cancers. It's the same thing for men when you look at leukemias, liver cancers, pancreatic cancer, uh, et cetera. And also you see stomach cancer is similar. So not huge declines in those areas with regards to the death rates over time. This matters because for many of these disease processes, the standard of care of chemo and radiation has not been as successful uh, as what we all might like to have seen. Now, keep in mind, here are your risks, right? If you're a gentleman, these are your risks with regards to developing cancer. You can see it there with regards to the numbers that one in two men are predicted to have cancer in their lifetime. And then you can see the breakdown, one in eight, one in 16, one in 23, so on and so forth. So I feel this very inherently because my father died when I was 16. He died of a glioblastoma multiforma, which is a brain tumor right? A very rare, odd tumor that we don't fully understand the etiology and does not seem to be strongly predicted by diet, nutrition, you know, et cetera. So despite eating an excellent program, right? He still ended up with this horrific disease. Now he had had some exposures to severe toxins we'll talk about and some other things. And so that may have played a part. But so again, a reminder to you, right? You and I want to do everything we can to reduce our risk of cancers. And the most common ones, as we'll talk about, are actually the ones that you can most radically reduce your risk of. In women, take a look here at the, the stats, right? One in three women predicted to have cancer in her lifetime. And there's the breast and the lung and then the colorectal, so on and so forth. So this is a real issue that you and I want to continue to keep in our brains. Cancer is the second leading cause of death. Breast cancer there's the second leading cause of cancer death in women right after heart disease. Breast cancer, there's been a slight reduction in mortality over time. Uterine cancer, minimal change. Ovarian cancer, unchanged, so on and so forth. I put these up here because we don't care just whether we get cancer. We care whether that ends up with dysfunction at the organism level and we die, right? That's what we don't want. We don't want to get cancer, but we also don't want to die from it. And so what's been going on with the standard of care has not been as effective as we might like to see. So let's go to mini medical school and talk about some things. The first one is the power of hormones. It turns out that organs, glands, I might suggest, are the most hormonally responsive. And these glands and organs are the one, the ones that are most hormonally responsive are also the ones most likely to develop cancer. Let's look at this. So let's imagine I have a little gland. Here it is breast ducts, ovarian tissue, the lining of your uterus, the endometrium, right? The, the colon, which is loaded with all types of little glandular tissue. Well, now you've got something like the adrenals, the thyroid, or the pituitary. These organs or glands release hormones. And these hormones change the size of the glandular tissue in the prostate, in the breast, in the ovaries. Let me explain. Give you a great example, right? Those of you, those women out there, right, who have breasts, you recall every time you go through a cycle or when you get pregnant or things like that, the breasts change in size, in firmness and all kinds of stuff. Well, what's happening? Hormones being released by your thyroid, by your adrenals, by your pituitary are stimulating the breast ductal tissue to change in size, dimensions, turgidness, et cetera. And so it's growing. And then as you go through the next phase, that cycle of hormones, it shrinks down again. And then it grows and then it shrinks. Same thing with the uterus, right? Builds up a whole layer on the inner side of it, interior of it, in preparation for possible in implantation and pregnancy. If you don't get pregnant, it sloughs off and you have a period. And this goes, right, every month. So there's this growth and fade and growth and fade. Now, the problem with this rapid up and down and change is, as you might guess, there's a huge opportunity for error in the system because there's so much happening constantly. And that's why these tissues are at much higher risk of cancer than, let's say, a bone. Your bone has a low level of turnover. It goes very slowly. Nerve tissues, low level of turnover, slow change. And that's why, right, sarcoma of the bone, right, or like osteosarcoma, or neural sheath tumors, things like that, are far less common 
than breast cancer, prostate cancer, and colon cancer. Because the tissues are not as hormonally responsive, are not as rapidly cycling up and down through change. So the cancers that are most amenable to the interventions we're going to talk about, as it turns out, are also the ones that are most hormonal. Colon cancer, prostate cancer, breast cancer, cervical cancer, uterine cancer, et cetera. These are the ones, right? These are the ones that are most modifiable. So cancer, here's your review, right, is more common in hormonally responsive tissues. And the relationship itself is quite complex and multifactorial. So now let's transition. We're going to transition to a little bit of a different conversation here. Because every time that I have the pleasure of joining Chef AJ, my goal is for you to leave knowing a little bit more about what you can do to be healthier. The primary risk factors for the majority of cancers include our age. So as we get older, we tend to have a higher risk of the majority of these cancers. Our gender, some have a predilection more for female, others for male. Our race, whether it be white, Hispanic, black, Asian, et cetera. Our family history, our past medical history, and our previous exposures. I'd encourage you to make your little sheet today and write on it, my cancer risk factors. How's your age? What's your gender? What's your race? What's your family history? Does anybody have cancer in your family, right? What's your past medical history? Did you have a history of cancer of some form or type? Or do you struggle with a chronic inflammatory condition that may increase that risk? And what exposures have you had, right? Were you working in a factory with various toxins? Did you work in the arts and crafts you know, field? Or were you a salon worker sucking in fumes constantly, et cetera? Those are the non-modifiable things. It's good to know that past for you. But then we want to know the modifiable things. How's the food? How's the exercise? How's the stress? How's the sleep? How are the toxic exposures today? We're going to go a little bit through each one of these now, looking at the lifestyle measures that influence your risk of cancer and allow you to make tangible changes to be healthier longer. Let's start with stress. Ah, do you feel stress? <laughs> you know, they say that many of us live in a cage with a tiger, right? We used to run from tigers. Now many of us live in a cage with a tiger. We're stressed by our spouses, by our children, by our job, by the media, by our finances, by, I mean, the list just goes on and on. It's like constant state of sympathetic overdrive, this fight or flight response, chronic anxiety, ah, right? And if that's you, it's important, A, you're aware of it. Number two, you begin a plan to try to address it. Number three, evaluate where it came from. Uh, I know my wife's doing a fun program right now that's all about that emotional intelligence, emotional well-being. So, and actually we have an eight-week program coming up starting in May 1st. That's going to be pretty sweet. That'll be me talking once uh, or twice a week, my wife talking once a week, doing emotional intelligence. What's your personality type? What are your triggers? What's the masks you wear? What are all these different things? And trying to break down some of this stuff so that we can be successful long-term. But it turns out when it comes to cancer is that stress appears to increase the risk of progression of cancer and also of recurrence of cancer and possibly of mortality. And why would we think this? Well, it makes sense because at its heart, cancer, or stress is a chronic state of inflammation at the cellular level. It starts off in the brain with our cognitive processes, but it results in a release of increased levels of cortisol. And cortisol, of course, is a stress hormone that leads to fluid retention and in, in, in incorrect appetite signaling, right? Abnormal other hormonal release with like insulin, insulin growth factor one that prompt increased cell growth. All of these vicious things that lead to abnormal tissue health. In addition, stress impairs our healing mechanisms. Our immune system is impaired. You know, it's kind of interesting. There's a whole field called neuropsychoimmunology. And in this field, researchers look at how psychological influences can affect our immune function. And they did a nice simple study where they took individuals uh, who were A, a healthy couple over the age of 65, or B, a caretaking couple. One was sick and one was a caretaker. And they gave both of these groups of sets of couples uh, vaccines for the flu. And then they looked at how many antibodies they produced. In other words, how effectively the immune system was spiked up to produce antibodies. And in the couple who had chronic stress, and they had dozens of these couples comparing them, those who were in a caretaking relationship 
their response was 50% fewer antibodies were produced because of just their level of stress. Everything else was pretty equal, their age, et cetera. But yet their chronic stress level impaired their response to an immune stimulus. That's crucial because if you are in a chronic state of stress, your immune system is fatigued, is worn out, is unable to do what it needs to do. I use that cute example, if you remember, um, uh, well, uh, I'm blanking. I'm blanking on the comedian's name. That's horrible. It's about to tell the story, but we'll, we'll skip. We'll come back to it. So the point be right, that as we're thinking about the healing of our body and this ability for the immune function to work for us, uh, it cannot do so if you're under chronic state of stress. Not to mention the very tangible reality of that chronic stress robs you of time and energy for self-care. You're so busy, worried about something. I love this phrase. This is a Neil Nedley phrase, right? That you begin to major in minors and you minor in majors. In other words, the things that really matter, you're not spending time with. Yet the things that are just kind of minor, you're stressing like crazy about and overly focused. So it's important that we're majoring in majors and minoring in minors when it comes to our health. And then we're spending the time we need for self-care, right? Getting that exercise, preparing the healthy food, so on and so forth. But you can't do that if you're in a chronic state of panic, chronic state of anxiety. And you know yourselves, if that's you right now, and you cannot seem to work through this on your own, then please, please reach out for professional help and get that assistance you need. The next S in cancer is going to be sleep. As it turns out, during sleep, our pineal gland, which is in the back of the brain, releases a hormone called melatonin you're all familiar with. This dusk-related hormone is released as the light comes down, as the sun sets. But it turns out melatonin, along with some of its friends, are potent anti-inflammatory molecules that are crucial for reducing your risk of cancer. And this is why in the nurses' health study, a very big study done with hundreds of thousands of nurses over time, they found that nurses had higher rates of breast cancer if they worked the night shift as compared to their day shift counterparts. And they believe that it was due to the dysregulation of melatonin release. So that if those nurses are working at night, their body's not releasing as much melatonin. And now they fail to receive the anti-inflammatory effects of the melatonin that is so crucially released during that circadian pattern. Very cool stuff. So you need to make sure you're getting that six, eight, 10 hours per night, whatever it might be that makes you feel rested and restored, that allows your body to replenish itself. We all know this inherently because if we get inadequate sleep, we're groggy, we can't think straight, we're fatigued, our energy is lower, we're, you know, our muscles and bones are a little sore, they just, we don't feel as well. Well, that's all occurring at the cellular level as well, not just at the organism level. As it turns out, sleep, listness, lack of sleep, inadequate sleep leads to impaired organ and impaired cellular function. The ability of your cells to clear toxins, to metabolize breakdown products is actually slowed and impaired. They've done the studies showing this in individuals when they alter their sleep patterns to a negative fashion. So the good news is that your sleep is something that you can work on. So start with basic sleep hygiene, making sure, right, that you're following the sleep hygiene principles and then go from there. There's so much though that you can do to help influence that good restorative sleep. Next is body habitus. As you recall, 70% of Americans are overweight or obese in America. And by 2030, 50% of Americans are predicted to be obese with the leading body mass category in women is reported to be going to be severe obesity. That's unbelievable to think about. But that's why Chef AJ works night and day to try to help you to keep that body habit is lower and to lose those pounds that you've struggled with. The reality is, though, that our excess body weight that we carry is a factory of adipose, adipokines, these cytokines, these inflammatory molecules that create a state of meta-inflammation throughout our bodies. In addition, it turns out that adipose tissue has a potent enzyme called aromatase that converts testosterone into estrogen. Estrogen, as you recall, is a growth hormone. And while it's wonderful early in life, if you have excess amounts of 
estrogen circulating through the bloodstream long-term, you radically increase your risk of uterine, breast, and ovarian cancers, which we do not want. And so you can see here on this little clip from a scientific paper, how that testosterone is converted, right, by the aromatase into the estradiol that goes into circulation, and there it stimulates the breast tissue, uh, so on and so forth. So uh, we do not want these excess amounts of aromatase, again, which is directly related to the amount of weight that we're carrying. And so as weight increases, both for women and for men, it turns out that our disease processes with cancer increase and become more dangerous. So here's a study, for example, demonstrating that, that as increased weight, then the prostate cancer metastasis and death risk both go up. So this makes total sense. Remember, you want to create in your body an environment that is toxic to cancer. It is toxic to cancer. Cancer hates being in your body because it is found out and it is suppressed or killed off. And so uh, an environment in which you're carrying this extra belly fat is an environment the cancer loves. Chronic inflammation, right? Uncontrolled growth, not what you want for your health. And so again, we see that the earlier that we put on weight, meaning in our youth, et cetera, uh, the more right uh, risk increases. So these were studies, for example, with colon cancer, with pancreatic cancer, and the list goes on. This is what breaks my heart for so many people because they go, oh, where did I get this colon cancer from? And yet they've been pouring toxic foods and food-like substance of addiction into their body for decades. They're carrying an extra 50 pounds on their gut, and then they wonder where the cancer came from. The reality is it comes from the repetitive patterns and behaviors and choices that we make every day. And you know what the good news is, baby? You can start making healthier decisions right now, right here today. Before Chef AJ and I, you can make a commitment to say, I'm done. This is my day. That's why I come back here on Chef AJ's program, because I always want to share this message with you, that what you do matters and that you are powerful. And it matters every day, not just on Wednesdays of the third week of every month, every day. So the obesity is a low level of chronic inflammation. And as a result of this chronic inflammation, you create an environment that stimulates cancer growth and facilitates its further. Now, excess, I put this up here just because excess of most things, whether it be of stress, whether it be of complete lethargy, just, well, I need a Doctor, I said I need to rest. So I slept for 10 hours and I'm just laying watching Netflix. This is resting more, right? This is good for my, no, no, that's not it, right? We need to avoid the excess. And, uh, you know, and that's where periods of fasting from media, periods of fasting from food, uh, so on and periods of, you know, all these things are so important and valuable to think about. Under the realm of both healthy and dangerous, I would put sunlight for you as well. Remember that thermal radiation is valuable for the conversion of vitamin D, for sleep facilitation, for mood orientation, et cetera. Uh, but it's also excessive hours in the sun can be an increased risk. Now, I have some people who love to say, oh, please, Dr. S, the sun's totally safe. I eat my fruits and vegetables. And the, uh, what it shows me is the lack of education. That's why I want to quickly address this. I want to remind you that there is an actual thermal injury at the skin level. Remember, if you're out in the sun and it's 90 degrees and the sun is baking down on your skin, it's probably like 100 and something on your skin, right? Because you're 98.6, add a couple more degrees from the heat exposure. You're out there for an hour or two. You're just baking, just like a tennis court gets baking hot in the sun. And there is actually what's called thymine dimerization. What does that mean? It means a molecule that's part of your DNA, the thymine, uh, actually dimerizes, meaning it's bound together by the heat. The heat causes a thermal damage. And now we get this cross-linking at the cellular level. This cross-linking is what leads to people who over time, they get this sort of alligator skin. You see these people worship the sun all the time. Something changes with the collagen structure of the skin. But there's an actual thermal injury of the skin. And that has nothing to do with whether you eat enough fruits and vegetables. That would be like somebody saying to me, look, I eat nothing but a bunch of fruits and vegetables. I could put my hand right on a stove. See, watch this. I could touch the stove. It's not going to hurt me. No, a thermal injury will still occur. The benefit of eating the fruits and vegetables to your skin is that 
you will radically reduce inflammation more quickly and any injury to your skin will heal more rapidly. That's the advantage, right? And the more beta carotene you consume, studies show that you burn a little less rapidly, right? So you want more of those deep, colorful blues, reds, oranges, greens in your skin uh, because that helps protect your skin from burning as quickly. But nevertheless, you are not intended to be in the sun for 5, 10, 8, 15, whatever hours straight baking. So I'd encourage you, again, use reflective apparel. I'm about to hit the tennis court in a couple minutes here. I'm going to have a huge hat on, big long sleeves, right? Use reflective sunscreen like the zinc oxide-based stuff rather than the oxyparabens and other chemicals. Uh, but make sure that you are protecting your body and still, though, get your exposure. 15 to 20 minutes of some good chest back, arms, legs would be wonderful, right? If you can go somewhere where you are uh, safe to bathe nude for 15 minutes in the sun, it's outstanding. If not, just your upper shoulders, back, legs, et cetera. Get them in the sun for 15 minutes where the sun's above 45 degrees of the horizon. Next, toxins. Well, we know some of the big ones, right? Smoking, of course. You see all the different cancers that smoking increases the risk of. I don't think I need to spend much time on this. You're all very aware of it. If you smoke or know someone who still struggles, as about 12 to 15% of Americans still do, uh, encourage, support, love them, help them set a quit date, help them find other options, get them off the cigarettes, or as we used to call them, the coffin nails, right? We don't want that for them. So help trade that out for them. The other area that's unpopular to talk about, but I'm not looking for popularity, I'm looking for truth, is of course alcohol. And very important for you to be familiar with this, that it increases the risk of all kinds of cancers, uh, right? And uh, interestingly, among them, of course, is breast. And so the, the newest studies in the 2020s show the same thing as these in the 2015s, which is that even a single drink increases the risk of breast cancer for women from anywhere five to 15%. And the more drinks you have, the more the risk goes up. And the risk is, un, you know, you can't, uh, for some people genetically, they have a couple of drinks that's a pretty significant risk. For other people, they can drink all day and they're, they still a little risk increase, but not huge. So since we don't know your exact genetics and how your body will respond to this chemical toxin, my recommendation is not to drink. I choose not to drink because I don't want some stupid disease uh, that I need not have. And then go, why did this happen? Oh, I wish I wouldn't have drunk alcohol. Maybe that was it, right? No, I want to look in the mirror if I do get some cancer and say, well, I did my best and it still occurred. Okay, so be it. But very important for you to be aware of this um, because you do not want cancer. And the other repercussions you've heard me talk about with the alcohol is that it increases your risk of cognitive decline. And the UK brain bank studies in which they did MRIs of the volume of people's white matter, which are the neurons of the brain, showed shrinkage directly related to the number of drinks the individual had. The more drinks, right, the more brain shrinkage and the less sort of cognitive function the individual maintained. I don't know about you, but I don't want no brain shrinkage while I age. I want to keep the brain as robust as possible. So again, here you go. All levels of evidence showed a risk relationship between alcohol consumption and the risk of breast cancer, even at low levels of consumption. Due to this strong relationship and the amount of alcohol consumed globally, the incidence of mortality from alcohol attributable breast cancer is large, right? This is real. Do not be lulled into kind of complacency because so many people drink. There's this weird thing in our minds that if everybody else does it, we think, well, it can't be that bad. I mean, look, they're still alive and she doesn't have breast cancer. It's like, you know, dude, no, it's not about anecdotes and feelings here. It's about science. And so when the science says what it does and as robustly as it does, uh, we need to take this seriously. Again, here you go, right? This is right off the CDC's website and this is what they have. And it's just tragic. This should be at every store, right? This should be on big signs around the world and around the whole US. Right? It should be outside every stadium, right? Et cetera. But uh, this is what we need to make sure people understand. This is real stuff. And we've got to take it seriously. Alcohol is a toxin. Done. End of story.
What other toxins, right? Heavy metals, food contaminants, herbicides, pesticides, plastics, preservatives. If you're slopping creams and makeup all over your body, remember your body is, your skin is not only the primary organ of excretion, but it also absorbs through it. And so when you're putting stuff on you, the various makeups and all this, I'm sure Chef AJ has a bunch of her, what her preferred makeup lines and things like that that are healthy. And I'm sure is happy to share those with you. Uh, but we want to put as little as possible on our bodies. Think about your underarm stuff that you might put, right? Or are you putting antiperspirants on? I hope not because all of those on average have aluminum in them. And aluminum is a heavy metal that increases the risk of breast cancer. And your breasts are right here next to your underarm. So if you're putting antiperspirants on, it sucks it right in. That's perfect way to kind of inoculate yourself with aluminum repetitively. Instead, we want to choose healthy modes of reducing uh, unwanted smells on our body, uh, but ones that don't increase our risk of disease. And so, again, a lot of areas here for you to think about in your own personal life. Are you using bug treatments in your home apartment or your house? Do people come by and spray? Is that really necessary? Right? Are, you, are the people spraying your lawns for things? Do you have a lawn service? Is that safe? Is it necessary? Right. We see, for example, golf courses, uh, individuals who work golf courses have higher rates of various uh, cancers and different types of leukemias and things like that. And believe it's related to the various sprays that they're chronically exposed to. You want to reduce those risks as much as you possibly can. You know, tragically, when they do studies on, uh, you know, umbilical cord blood of newborns, they find over 200 industrial chemicals and pollutants in them. And this wasn't kids who like live next to a nuclear plant. These are like little kids in kind of standard middle America, uh, you know, and so we all start early with these exposures. I mean, walking down the streets of New York City or Chicago or any average town, if you're walking as cars are pumping out exhaust, you're sucking in heavy metals and gas toxins, et cetera. Uh, and so these all, a lot of them are lipophilic, meaning they are fat soluble. And so they're stored in your fats. Uh, and this is why I'm a huge advocate, right? For uh, intermittent periods of fasting, detoxification, to get rid of this lipolysis, to, to get rid of the stored fats. I'm an advocate for things like increasing the amounts of cilantro and other chelating type agents that help with the excretion of various metals. Uh, because these, we, we are all chronically exposed to things that we don't want in our bodies. We want to figure out how to get them out as much as possible. From a food perspective, you want to try to, uh, you know, minimize the consumption of the dirty dozen, right? Try to get these organically as much as possible, right? As much as possible getting these organically. I could certainly improve in this area, right? And, uh, you know, so keep trying more and more uh, of, you know, getting organic of all these. And then perhaps you're clean 15, right? Then you don't have to worry as much about getting organic. So if you're like, well, I have to spend so much more money on the organic, well, then maybe we, you know, you can save by buying these in an unorganic state because they are sprayed less and so have less of the toxins on them. And then of course, just increasing your consumption of these things. I actually was just cutting a gorgeous papaya before I came over here and ate a bunch of it, which was wonderful. Now, medications. Uh, these are rarely talked about enough as risk factors, but it turns out multiple uh, medications increase the risks of various cancers. So if you must take a medicine, because you, despite your best efforts lifestyle medicine-wise, you still require something, you want to look at the black box warnings on that medication. You want to look at all the potential side effects on the you know kind of insert of the medication and look for the different cancers that it may increase the risk of. It's interesting. It's actually disturbing. If you go online and just look up list of medications pulled from market in US, you're going to see hundreds of medicines that over the last 20 years have been pulled off the market. That's right. See, so many people think that like medicines are handed down by God and it must be safe because it came from God, right? And yet medicines are frequently pulled off the market and never returned again because they caused a slew, for example, of heart failure or of leukemias or of weird liver cancers. They're like, what happened? I don't know. All those people are taking that drug. Must have been that. And then they pull it and they're out. So if you must take a medicine, you want to understand that medicine as much as possible. Because with most, and unfortunately, many medicines, there's an unclear risk, right? They've done a study that was a year long in a controlled environment, and now they say it's safe. Okay, they started on everybody. Well, what if you take the drug for 10 years or 20 years or 15 years, right? That's what we call phase four data. And that phase four data is now where people begin to die. And unless somebody starts putting those pieces together, 
nobody ever does. And it's just like, I don't know. I don't think, it was, I don't know if it's related to anything, but this is so important, right? So if you take drugs, make sure you fully understand their risks. Now, nutritionally, red meat, processed meat, you guessed it, serious increased risk of colorectal cancer. All the studies show the same thing. In fact, back in 2015, there was a, you know, 22 scientists, 10 countries, 800 studies reviewed, and they essentially put processed meat in the same class as asbestos with regards to cancer risk. So it's like, if you eat processed meat, may as well just go lick the walls of your grandmother's house, right? The exterior that's just loaded with those asbestos panels and see how it goes. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It makes no sense. So nobody should be eating the toxins that are processed meats. Uh, and then red meats, right? Probably carcinogenic to humans. It's placed in the working group 2A with a whole host of other nasty things. Uh, this is worth going and looking at because this sort of statement was, it kind of came out, it was on the news. And then they immediately were like, yeah, moving on. Everybody watch the dancing people. La, 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 la. <laughs> Let's not even talk about it. It was fascinating because at the time I remember looking up Ballparks, uh, you know, which is one of the big companies making, you know, processed meats. I looked at their uh, stocks and it didn't even drop. It was amazing. It was like, wow, we just had a report internationally recognized saying that consuming these foods is carcinogenic and you didn't even lose a dime. Like that's insane. And it speaks to this fallacy. It speaks to this sort of global amnesia that we don't like to hear good things about our bad habits, right? We only want good things. We don't want any bad things, right? So we only want to hear good things about our bad habits. And if you say something bad, we're like, what? No, that can't, no, 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 that can't be true. But I'm here to just speak to you about the science and that's what it says. And so we need to be conscientious of the uh, processing the meat further makes it even more toxic. So the well-intentioned father or mother who's grilling on the grill this summer, their toxic dead animal actually radically increases the cancer risk of that dead animal by grilling it because of the high heat, right? This high dry heat increases the formation of these polycyclic or aromatic hydrocarbons and, and uh, these heterocyclic amines. And, and this increases the cancer risk even more. And so what happens is we're smearing this stuff along the lining of the intestinal tract and all of these little glands that line it, they become cancerous and the, here comes our cancer. And that's what we do not want. And, and dairy appears to also increase the risk of various cancers. Um, and I just threw up here as an example that other foods do the exact opposite, like nuts and all the fruits and the vegetables, you guessed it, right? All these fruits and veggies reduce the risk of cancer uh, rather than increasing it. And so why would all the plants be so positive? Well, plants, when you consume them, reduce the concentrations of estrogen and testosterone. You know, women who are plant-based hoop out more of their excess estrogen than non-plant-based women. It's quite fascinating to see they've done these studies on the poop and looking at concentration and amounts of estrogen. And so when a woman eats a lot of fruits and vegetables and all the fiber, it binds up the excess estrogen and she poops it out rather than just recirculating that excess estrogen that was leading to their increased risk of cancer. So also, when you consume more plants, you lower your production of insulin-like growth factor one and insulin itself. Both of these are growth factors that stimulate growth of cells. And the growth of those cells, as we said, that's an inheritance of cancer. When the cells grow too rapidly, right, and abnormally, that's the problem. Also, you get fewer carcinogens as compared to when you're consuming the meats. You have more antioxidative, anti-inflammatory substances, right? All of those isoflavones, all of those micronutrients, all the fiber that's reducing inflammation in your body. This is crucial. And of course, we get a healthier gut microbiome so that now these bacteria are not pooping out and vomiting garbage that is just toxic to your body. Instead, it's lighter, it's easier on the body, the waste products that they produce. Let's take you back, big picture. Food is information. Food influences the cell cycle. This alters cellular function, synthesis, and metabolism, and as a result, alters your health. Uh, two or three studies to, that I love just to point out, prostate cancer and diet. This is a great one by Dean Ornish, one of the godfathers of heart disease reversal through food. He took his same plant-based program and mindfulness program and applied it to men with moderate levels of prostate cancer proven by biopsy. And those men who consumed his diet over the next year, they then retested them their markers of prostate cancer called the prostate-specific antigen dropped as controlled to the control group who were just eating standard food, their PSA went up. But even more cool to me 
is the fact that when they took the blood of the men who are eating the healthy program and poured it on prostate cancer cells, their blood inhibited inhibited the growth of prostate cancer cells by 70% versus in the control group only by 9%. I mean, that's a whole just amazing galaxy apart right there. 70% inhibition as compared to 90%. That's what I was saying about you want your cells, you want your blood to inhibit cancer growth itself. And how this was working, it turns out, he did study follow-up looking at the genes of these gentlemen and showed that the genes expression was changing. Some genes were upregulating their function and others were downregulating. The genes related to inflammation and catabolism, right? And all of this cancer production were becoming less active. And the genes related to reducing inflammation, health, vitality, et cetera, were all increasing their activity. Exactly what we want. So nutritionally, you want to increase the fiber. In other words, just what Chef AJ and I say every day more fruits and veggies and whole foods and whole grains, all of those healthy complex carbohydrates, et cetera. That's what we want to be eating because that helps the gut with the gut flora with less toxin production. It binds up the excess hormones. Plus you're getting all those micronutrients. I will also comment, I want more spices and more allium, right? The, uh, the garlic, the onions in your diet on a regular basis because turns out these different spices, right? Increase apoptosis or death of cancer cells. And they inhibit their proliferation, their migration, the invasion. They do all the things that we want. So that's why, for example, example, the other day I posted on Instagram and Facebook a picture of my breakfast. And I haven't broken it down yet, but I was about to because it's interesting. I said, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm trying to maximize the micronutrient content and the various medicinal almost effects of my food. So here was my oatmeal, but it wasn't just oatmeal. I'd also added cinnamon. I had also added some cayenne pepper. I had also added in some of the uh, ground flaxseed and some ground chia. Then my greens that were there, right? And then I also had a big thing of fresh berries. And then I also had a smoothie, but in my smoothie, I had added lots of big, huge amount of cilantro. And then the pineapple with the uh, effects of the bromelain for inflammation. And I also had in that turmeric, about two inches of a turmeric root, right? So all of these different spices that I'm trying to get more of at every level to reduce this risk that you and I have. What do we know? Those who consume the highest amounts of the veggies, the fruits, the beans, the lentils, et cetera, have the lower disease risk for cancer. Meat, dairy, fiber, poor foods increase that risk. And migration studies show that what you and I do can alter that risk. So we want to be looking at our nutritional program and see lots of this, right? Not that, not this garbage. And again, not the stuff on the right, no. So look at your plate every day and say, is this anti-cancer? Yes or no. We're running out of time. Exercise, just so you know, incredibly powerful, good stuff. Do it regularly. Women who exercise 30 minutes a day reduce the risk of breast cancer by half. Really powerful stuff. Make sure you're doing it on a regular basis. The big picture is that you have lots of different aspects to your risk of cancer. And you want to look at each one of these and say, which one can I maximize? Which are the areas that I'm not hitting? Because my genetics are a major risk factor for me. Gosh, I really need to focus in even more on all the other areas of my life. The good news for you today is that you can influence your cancer risk and the science validates this. But you've got to look at each of the aspects of your life, identify areas that are open to change and modification and do it today. Cancer is not cool. We want to shut down initiation, proliferation, and metastasis as much as possible. And the choices that you make can radically predict your future. You can look at this slide later on, but evaluate your risk, select the team to support you. Chef AJ and I are here for you to support you every day. That is her mission in life, to transform lives for good. That's why I come on this show with her, because I know what she wants to do to help people, right? But write out a plan, modify it and be flexible. And remember, you are powerful, powerful, powerful. And with that, thank you very much. Yay, Dr. Esther. You know, I, I'm just amazed how so many people in the plant-based world still are thinking alcohol is okay. And that's what I love so much about you and Dr. Sabatino and Dr. Goldhammer. You basically say, no, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just tragic to me because it's just madness. You know, if we're going to follow science, we need to follow science. 
If you're not going to follow science, then don't follow science. <laughs> if you're going to drink alcohol, then go drink cow pus and eat dead animals and have all the French fries you want because you're essentially saying it doesn't matter what I do. And it, it makes zero sense. So I like a synchronous life. I want synchrony in my life. What I believe, how I act, how I speak, they all work together and in unison. And, and that's how we all should be, I believe. Yeah. Would you mind answering a question from MJ? She previously submitted sure. knowing the topic. Guys, I have to have them submitted and you get the email that says what the topic is. So she says that uh, she's been diagnosed with a chronic blood cancer. She's been cancer-free for two years, thankfully. Her hematologist tells her that this type of leukemia usually returns every five to seven years on average. What is the best nutrition advice to help prevent the leukemia from coming back? Probably everything you said in the presentation, but is there something different you might say for somebody that's already had a cancer that's been diagnosed like this? No, I'd probably say that you need to maximize everything even more, right? So, I mean, maximizing those, especially all of those micronutrient-dense foods and extracting out the, the, the nutrient-poor foods, even those that are, quote, plant-based, but if they're kind of processed and just empty calories, there's no reason for you to be consuming them. You want to really maximize nutrient quality along with the, the required calorie content that you need to, to be vital, fit, active, functional, et cetera. But for somebody like her, especially looking at the toxic exposures that are secret windows that kind of stuff sneaks in and also that level of stress and sleep to help mitigate the chronic inflammation that comes with aging and with life in general. So I'm glad you're doing great. Keep rocking MJ. Great. Well, Dr. Esther, thank you so much for your passion in general. And this is a very wonderful topic that people need to know more about because I think cancer has touched everybody, maybe not personally, but at least somebody in their family or friends, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Yep. So you and I, hopefully, and everybody listening today, we can help change that curve in the right direction. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And I look forward to seeing you next month. All right. See you soon, Chef AJ. Bye. Take care, Dr. Esser. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow for Deebs, Deebs, Dylan and Reeves. Deebs is when you we put their names together from Well Your World. They will be making a baked mustache. I hope it pronounces like mustachioli, creamy spaghetti, starch balls, and a polenta surprise. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.